0: Hello, and welcome to the Dairy Defined podcast. Today, we have two members of NMPS economics team who work in tandem with the U.S. Dairy Export Council on dairy and trade issues. And it's a good time to chat with Record Exports supporting a hope for brighter outlook on prices. William Lux is the director of global trade analysis for the U.S. Dairy Export Council, a.k.a. USDEC where he provides strategic analysis and insight into the global dairy market through monitoring and forecasting short and long term trends in supply, demand, pricing, international trade, as well as the broader economy. He's also a farm kid growing up, raising corn and soybeans in Iowa before embarking on a path that took him as far away as London, where he received his master's from the London School of Economics, Stephen Kane is an nmpf usdeck economic analyst providing ongoing and ad hoc economic analysis with a focus on both domestic production and global trade before nmpf he was agribusiness consultant for ihs market in washington where he led the agribusiness division in economic impact analysis his bachelor's degree in agribusiness and master's degree in agricultural economics are both from texas a m welcome will hi alan thanks for having me on and welcome Stephen. Thanks, Alan, glad to be here. So let's start with you, Will, and let's start with the big picture. What's the trend with U.S. dairy exports?
1: Overall, uh, the trend for U.S. dairy exports has really been one of growth. Uh, This is a long-term trend, but uh, you set it up at the top. Uh, In 2020, we had a record year. Uh, That was in terms of overall volume of dairy exports being moved overseas to our international markets in spite of the COVID-19 pandemic. In spite of issues at ports, in spite of all of that, we still managed a uh, record year overall. But that hasn't stopped once we've moved into 2021 either. We had some hiccups towards the end of last year and into January of this year just due to, uh, as I mentioned, shipping delays. Uh, There's some issues at port. But by and large, that didn't slow down or, or mess with exports much in March and April where we had a record year or excuse me, record month. Uh, In total volume of exports in the month of March and April was pretty close behind, uh, despite only having one despite having one fewer day in the month. Overall, US dairy exports are up 15% uh, year to date so that's through April, uh, compared to 2020, which again was our record year. Uh, So that's been quite the sharp acceleration that we've had in recent months. Um, and so, in dollar terms, uh, you know that's two point four five billion dollars uh, worth of dairy exports just in the first four months of, of 2021. So uh, that's that's quite a bit of uh, volume and value moving overseas. And fundamentally, what we're seeing right now is growth in our three biggest export products. Number one being non-fat dry milk slash skim milk powder. That's up 18% this year. Uh, whey products are up 25% year to date. Uh, and cheese is up 12%. And April was a record month for U.S. cheese exports. So we're seeing a lot of growth in U.S. dairy exports, uh, really continuing on from last year and the success we had uh, in spite of the pandemic and really moving forward into this year. There's a couple of reasons for that uh, that I can touch on here in a second. You know, number one, global demand is fundamentally really strong uh, right now. China has been leading the way uh, just in terms of overall dairy demand right now. Uh, Consumers within China are are just wanting a lot of dairy. Um, And Mexico, uh, after a tough year uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic and some economic issues, is recovering. Southeast Asia, the Middle East all need product too. So, you know, we've had the product to sell and the global market has been demanding it. So that's kind of why you're seeing such an acceleration in uh, U.S. Uh, dairy exports last year and, and certainly into this year.
0: Why does a greater volume of U.S. dairy exports matter to a dairy farmer? Yeah, well, we
1: conveniently just wrote a, a whole article about that on uh, U.S. webpage. So if you go to usdex.org, uh, you can find that on there under frequently asked question number one. Fundamentally, it's for a few reasons. Uh, one, in terms of long-term growth for the U.S. industry. The international markets, the, where you want to place your bets, uh, for one, you know, over the past 10 years, uh, global dairy trade has grown by, uh, 3.8% uh, on average every single year. That's the equivalence of over the past 10 years growing about 54 billion pounds worth of liquid milk, farmer milk that's being produced. That's how much the international market has grown. That's a, that's a lot. That's roughly twice the size of how much the domestic market has grown. And so Uh, Although we're certainly still focused on the domestic market and it matters, you know, if we're going to grow as an industry, the international market's the one that's growing and growing fast and has a high value uh, placed for those products that the U.S. makes overseas. Um, And then obviously it also just helps support our market. The U.S. dairy farmer obviously is very good at what they do. Uh, Milk production is up two and a half percent so far this year. Uh, That's a lot of milk being produced uh, overall across the United States. Um, But domestic consumption, uh, while certainly still growing, is not growing at that same pace. And so in order to keep the market balanced, we need to be moving more into the export market. But as I said, it's not just because we have more product to sell that we're focused on the international market. It's because that international market is growing and really is the uh, opportunity for U.S. dairy farmers to grow uh, and the more we do that, the more we're going to support the milk check, um, because, you know, products that factor into the U.S. dairy farmer milk check, that's cheese, butter, nonfat dry milk and dry whey, all of those products uh, go overseas. And so if we didn't have those, all of a sudden we get a lot more product that's backing up here into the domestic market and pushing down those prices. So if we're not moving that overseas, if we're not finding new homes for that product all of a sudden, that milk check's gonna go down. So, in some sense, uh, that, that's also the really crucial factor for US dairy farmers.
0: And you beat me to the punch, Will, because I wanted to uh, plug the uh, U.S. Dairy Export Council's blog, um, but you already made mention of it. Just to note, it's on usdeckusdec.org. It's called the U.S. Dairy Exporter Blog. It is filled with rich information and important articles written by USDEC staff gathered from a lot of high quality data sources. Um, one thing that the uh, blog talks about a little bit is some specific markets as well. And I want to drill down a little bit further. Stephen, tell me a little bit about what's going on in some specific regions of the world, starting with a question which is always big on people's minds, China.
2: Yeah, yeah. China has really just had some insatiable demand for dairy products uh, over the last year. Um, I think that's, you know, for a few, uh, few main reasons. Um, one, domestic milk prices are still very high in the country. Uh, the government has also been touting uh, you know, immunity support of dairy products during this global pandemic uh, and also the ASF recovery. So all three of those have really been playing a key piece. Um, In terms of domestic milk prices, they're around 427 uh, RMB a liter, which is incredibly high prices. These are are prices that we haven't seen since 2013, 2014, when we saw another just dramatic run up in prices. Um, So that alone has really been pushing Chinese buyers to the international market. Uh, to really get some better deals on product, uh, which is great news for U.S. exporters um, as we try to capture some of that demand. Uh, also, the government pushing immunity support um, from dairy during this pandemic has really, you know, helped spur dairy demand on in this last year, especially fluid milk consumption. Uh, fluid milk consumption in 2020 increased by nearly 10%. Um, you know, and all, although that's, that's still roughly a low number, uh, comparative to other countries. China per capita consumption of milk is around 15 pounds, uh, you know, compared to the U.S., we're at around 141 pounds. So, you know, there's still a lot of growth that could be had, a lot of growth potential in China for consumption there, uh, but seeing some good uh, increases there uh, coming from that push support for the government and uh, immunity um, for uh, dairy products. And lastly, ASF touched briefly on this. You know, We've been talking about ASF in China for a long, long time. Uh, this isn't anything new, um, but I, I will say the structure of the industry has been changing. And that's really the big impact that's having a, a drive up in demand for whey products going into hog operations. Um, you know, so as they rebuild their swine herd, there's a shift from kind of small holder uh, backyard-style operations to more commercial operations and you know, with large sophisticated facilities. Uh, what that means for dairy is that there's more whey going into feed. These large commercial operators tend to rely more on a standardized feed ration, more so than backyard operators. So what that means overall uh, is that there's more way demand going into feed uh, for use in China for the hog population. So. All of that uh, put together some good news for US exports um, coming out of China
1: there. And on top of that, you were mentioning that rising demand in China for uh, whey products and uh, going towards their hog herd, uh, that's going directly into the farmer milk check as well. So that dry whey is being priced in a class three and we've seen a sharp run up there. And so if you think about how directly what's happening in China with their hog industry somehow is affecting US dairy farmers back here at home in Wisconsin. so. It's all
0: interconnected here. Any dairy farmer with a memory that goes back as far as 2014 can can take a look at what you know different shifts in buying trends from China will do to domestic prices and markets. At the same time, though, China is not the only game in town. And, and there can be some arguments that in the immediate term, China might not even be the biggest game in town. What are some other key markets that are really sort of driving what we're seeing in, in trade, Stephen?
2: Yeah, we've seen a lot of growth in Southeast Asia over the last year, especially in powder. Um, in terms of market share, uh, in terms of milk-solid exports, uh, the U.S. has uh, increased to a market share around 31%, um, that's up from around 23% in late 2019, so we're really seeing, uh, and that has put them as the largest uh, shareholder in milk-solid exports to Southeast Asia, uh, above the European Union, above New Zealand, um, and also in, in uh, skin milk powder. U.S. increased market share there um, as well from 26% uh, up to 45%. And that's coming off of a 20% increase in volume of S&P coming from the U.S. to Southeast Asia. So there's just been a a really great opportunity there to capitalize on exports uh, going to the region. Um, But we're also facing some port issues uh, out of the West Coast, and that's impacted some delivery of product. Uh, you know, moving forward, if we want to make sure that we hold on to the market share, uh, we need to make sure that we're working with uh, buyers in the region as much as we can, because our competitors uh, certainly are doing all they can to get back into the market. Uh, you know, but overall, Southeast Asia you know, has a large population. They have a growing appetite for dairy. Uh, you know, so we see this as a really a key market where we can see a, a lot of potential growth in the coming years.
0: But you also and I'm glad you mentioned the European Union and and New Zealand, because this market doesn't take place in a vacuum. There's a lot of competition here, and I would think that there would be relative strengths and weaknesses. I'm interested, Stephen, Will, what would you see as some comparative advantages that U.S. dairy would have in certain markets? And what would be some some areas where perhaps the U.S. has some challenges that it needs to overcome?
1: Well, I can start off on that one. Uh, and then, Stephen, you can, you can jump in here. Um, you know, for one, the U.S. is, as I said, farmers are really good at what we're doing. Uh, we're the ones who are uh, really well placed to structurally grow our milk supply. And as I mentioned, global demand is growing. Uh, but... Europe, New Zealand structurally are somewhat limited based upon various environmental regulations or profitability concerns. They're not really adding cows. And so because of that, they're reduced to productivity gains as their herd actually in fact contracts versus in the United States where we continue to really be adding more cows, uh, be producing more milk. We're the ones best placed to really capture that growing volume. The tricky thing is of course, Europe, New Zealand are focused on really increasing their value of their milk because of the fact that if they're not gonna grow volume, the best way to grow profits and margin for their farmers, for their cooperatives, for their uh, processing companies is to add value to that milk. And so they're really focused there and have targeted a number of key areas um, in high value markets, uh, places like even here in the United States where uh, we import some of those high value products. Uh, for the US, though, where we really are seeing uh, um, competitors take advantage is in the trade space. So, Europe has free trade agreements with I don't know how many countries around the world, New Zealand does too, including many crucial dairy markets where they've negotiated in uh, access for their dairy products. And the US hasn't had really a new full on free trade agreement besides the USMCA in quite a while. And so, as a result of that, we're standing still as our competitors are moving forward and getting prefer- preferential tariff and regulatory advantages in these spaces. And I know you've had Shauna Morris come on and talk about why trade policy is so important. Um, that, that's really what we're seeing is, is this matters on the ground when we're uh, working with customers. Um, but the other thing here is, you know, the U.S. also needs to make sure you know, we're making products for that international market. We are a large growing uh, domestic market here. As I've mentioned, uh, we're growing our milk supply. We're very good at making products for the domestic market. But how we capture the international market, how we capture higher value products is making products for those international customers, not just we have extra of what we have here made in the United States. We need to be thinking about the global consumer because as I mentioned, that's where the growth is happening. So as we start transitioning and making products, making plants for the international customer, I think that's going to come but that's that's where one opportunity of growth for the US industry
2: yeah yeah no you you, you said exactly right with gonna be my next point on uh, on really domestic milk production growth you know that's a key area where we're really you know just like you said, there's a growing global demand for dairy products. Uh, the EU and New Zealand are facing you know, sub- substantial obstacles in growing their herd, and really we're really the only one that has the capacity to add cows, add growth, to meet that growing demand. Um, so yeah, I just want to echo that last point again, that you know, our, our ability to meet that demand and adding cows and adding production uh, is really going to help serve us in terms of the the global impact of US dairy uh, on the marketplace.
0: But as you were saying, well, you can add all the cows and the productive capacity you want, if you can't get it through the port, if you can't get the product to the con- that the global consumer wants, you just end up with a backup here. This really is a system that kind of needs to st- to work with interlocking pieces and, and flow relatively smoothly.
1: I mean, that port issue has certainly been an issue that's caused a lot of headaches uh, for U.S. dairy exporters. The fundamental issue that we've had at port is U.S. consumers here at home are buying a lot from Amazon, ordering lawn furniture, all these other goods because we couldn't spend the pandemic spending them on services, uh, spending the money that we had. And so it created this backup and, and this incentive to move a lot of products from Asia to the United States. And it just takes time to work through those products. And so it's been tough then sending products from the US to Asia because we had to work through all those ships in that backlog. And so uh, that, that's something we're still working on and is uh, something we're keeping a close eye on. But as Steven mentioned earlier keeping that communication with customers uh, is always crucial to maintain those relationships maintain those uh, contacts and sales going forward.
0: What have you seen that somebody listening to this podcast might find a little bit surprising? What's,
2: what's hard to wrap your head around sometimes whenever you're looking at overall uh, export numbers for the U.S. is that there's, a, there's an ebb and flow always in terms of where products are headed. Um, and the U.S. is really good at adapting to different scenarios. Over the past year during the pandemic, uh, Mexico prior – to the pandemic had been, uh, you know, a key export partner for uh, a lot of products coming out of the U.S. Um, as the pandemic hit, you know, economic recovery in Mexico uh, was in question. Demand dropped, uh, but we shifted product that would have been destined for Mexico to other other regions around the world, like Southeast Asia and like others. Um, and so we're still able to have, you know, this great last year, despite everything, these great numbers in dairy exports. Although some of our key partners had shifted. Um, so that's really, you know, a, a key piece to look at as well as, you know, not, not just over top line numbers, but where product is going and our ability to uh, react to changing environments in the global setting.
0: We're speaking with William Lux, the Director of Global Trade Analysis for the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and Stephen Kane, NMPF Usdeck Economic Analyst. Will, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. And that's it for today's podcast. For more on NMPF trade activities, go to the trade policy icon on our homepage, nmpf.org, to learn more about the U.S. Dairy Export Council, including the aforementioned Dairy Exporter Blog, rich data resources, and up-to-the-minute trade developments. Visit usedeck.org. And for more of the Dairy Defined podcast, this podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play under the podcast name, Dairy Defined.